Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles's number one sports podcast network. The only place with the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and in episode 28, my guest is a certified friend of the show, a fellow USC Annenberg School alum, and a fantasy football analyst for the NFL Network and NFL.com, Marcus Grant. Marcus, welcome back to the Everything USC podcast. Appreciate it. I always enjoy getting invited back somewhere, but uh, certainly on this one as well. You know, it's weird. This will be the third time and I still don't get to make a pick, but that's because this time we're off season. So this one's understandable. We are off season, but I have made a promise that at some point we'll get to make a pick for a football game. That is definitely on the table. So of course, if you enjoy listening to the show, you can subscribe and rate it wherever you get your podcasts iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more, or go right to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, I'm on Twitter. You can find and follow me there at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Marcus Grant, let the people know where they can catch up with you, social media, traditional media, whatever. Yeah, uh, social media, the easiest place is Twitter. It's at Marcus G, M-A-R-C-A-S-G. Normal media, just NFL.com, uh, usually writing there. Uh, we do our podcast, the, the NFL Fantasy Football Show, and you can find that all the same places you find this one. Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, the whole like. And then uh, just ahead, we are doing a, oh, a couple of things. One, we have a YouTube channel. I should remember, I should, I, I've been told I have to push that a little more. The YouTube channel is uh, youtube.com slash NFL fantasy football. And then uh, on NFL Network, we'll be back for just a one-off show. We're doing a, a draft special on May 14th. So it'll be next Friday. Check your local listings on NFL Network. Set your DVRs. I believe it comes on at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. But don't quote me on that. So as I said, just just set your DVRs and it will appear. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Every time I've had Marcus Grant on as a guest previously, there seems to be something serious that's affecting the sports slash USC world <laughs> in the news that we have to talk about for at least part of the show. Last time you were on, it was COVID issues forcing the cancellation of the USC Colorado football game. Before that was the two-part roundtable with our fellow Trojans, Bill Sue and Corey Olson, in the wake of George Floyd's murder. And the first time you were on the previous incarnation of the podcast, when it was focused on USC football, it was right after California Governor Gavin Newsom had signed the Fair Pay to Play Act into law to push the name, image, and likeness discussion in college athletics into the spotlight. But today, and hopefully I'm not jinxing it, with COVID vaccines readily (laughs) available to the masses, Derek Chauvin having been found guilty in George Floyd's death, 
and NIL laws in a few states scheduled to take effect in July, I think I can finally do a show with Marcus where the most serious issue <laughs> we have to discuss is whether Aaron Rodgers will be on the Green Bay Packers when the NFL season starts in September. So Marcus, I want this show to be focused on your actual work as a fantasy football analyst. And let's begin by having you tell the audience how you got into this line of work. Sort of by accident. I had been working in radio for a while. I had done some minor league baseball play-by-play. I'd been working in local radio in Fresno for a while, sports radio, and then was lucky enough to get a job in LA as an update anchor at what was then Sporting News Radio. They have since changed names multiple times. I don't even know what they are anymore. But when I was working there, they were sold to a guy who lived in Houston. And, you know, as is your want to do when you pay millions of dollars for an entity, he wanted to move it closer to home in Houston. I was not really interested in moving there. I stayed in L.A., was sort of freelance working for a while and writing, doing whatever. And a friend slash former co-worker with the radio network suggested that I apply for a job at the NFL. He had been doing some seasonal work there. He said, they're always looking for people seasonally. Just give them a shout and see what happens. And so this was, mind you, this was in 2011. And the big news around the NFL at the time was the lockout was sort of underway. And nobody really knew if there was going to be a season. But I'm like, whatever. I, I'm basically unemployed. I might as well just figure out what's going on. So I went on the NFL.com website, went to the career section, and applied for maybe five or six jobs, uh, many of which I knew I wasn't qualified for, but I figured I would give it a shot. And nothing happened for a couple of months because, you know, like the lockout was going on. They were in a hiring freeze. They didn't know if there was going to be actual football that year. And I sort of forgot about it. And out of the blue, got a call from a guy named Michael Fabiano, who was the lead fantasy analyst at the time. And asked me if I wanted to apply for a job writing about fantasy football. I mean, at that point, I only played fantasy just kind of as a social thing. I don't think I was ever super competitive about it. It was just a way to kind of keep in touch with people. I certainly never thought about it as a career, but he asked if I wanted to write about it. I asked, does it pay? He said, yeah. I said, sure. So did the interview and was lucky enough that the day the lockout ended, I remember turning on ESPN in the morning, seeing all the reports that the lockout was over. We were going to have a season. And maybe a couple hours after that, I got the call offering me the job. And I just finished season number 10 there, which is wild to me because I've never been at a job this long in my life. So I didn't plan on it. It's been great. It's been interesting to see how much the fantasy sports industry has grown, just fantasy sports in general, but fantasy football in particular. It has grown leaps and bounds since I started this thing back in, in 2011. But uh, it's been it has been an interesting, fun ride so far. It has been crazy over this last decade how much fantasy sports has grown and i remember when we were freshmen in college (laughs) way back when playing in our first fantasy football league as very green freshmen i would have to say (laughs) i mean i'd never done fantasy sports before that i had heard about it i knew about it but i never played in a fantasy league before that one and to think about that's where we started and now where you are today is really amazing. So I want to get into kind of like the mechanics a little bit of what you do. So beginning with this, what's the biggest differences between being a fantasy football analyst versus the quote unquote regular football analyst? Well, one, we tend to only focus on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, you do look at defenses a little bit because you're sort of playing matchups or what have you, but we're really more analyzing 
what offenses are doing, how players are being used, who's on the field when, and that sort of thing. I also like to say that we actually get to kind of talk about football all the time. You know, every once in a while, there are real life things that sort of come up in the NFL. And a lot of times, you know, the other analysts have to kind of talk about those real life things. We tend to just be more about the on-field stuff. That's not to say we ignore it. Like, obviously, if, for instance, like the Deshaun Watson allegations and, and that story, obviously, you know, has a real world impact on, you know, what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson and, and his tenure with the, the Texans. But obviously it has a fantasy implication as well, because you were talking about one of the top, you know, I don't know, five or six quarterbacks in the league. And we don't know what his future is going to be right now. But it, it really is just about, I think, more looking sort of at the the ins and outs and the intricacies of offenses and, and just trying to kind of focus on who gets what when. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I think a lot of times we start to recognize players who are maybe really good football players that aren't necessarily great fantasy players. You know, and you kind of have to separate that too. Like a guy who I'll say like Emmanuel Sanders, right? When he was with the 49ers, he was kind of a big part. It was important to what they did but he wasn't scoring you a ton of fantasy points. So you have to sort of learn to kind of separate those guys out from the rest when you're talking about it. So what are the most important stats you're looking for to distinguish between which players are better than others from a fantasy perspective? The first thing for me is, you know, just how often a guy is on the field. I know sometimes we, we kind of get caught up and I do it too, but certainly a lot of analysts get caught up in, you know, a player's skill level and their talent. And that's great. But it also doesn't mean anything if they're not getting on the field and getting opportunities. I mean, I, I always say opportunity is the lifeblood of fantasy success. So we're, we're looking at snap percentage or total snaps that a guy's played and kind of get in a sense of how often that player is on the field. And then just overall opportunities with the football, right? So if you're a running back, we refer to touches, you know, like how many carries you're getting plus potentially how many targets that you're getting. That's why a guy like Christian McCaffrey is consistently among the top players off the board. I mean, he's a guy who, when he's healthy, will play anywhere between 95 to 98% of the snaps, which is nearly unheard of. You know that over the course of the season, he might get 20, 25 touches a game, right? He's going to get 100 targets, which you know, you're talking about top-notch wide receiver numbers when it comes to targets. He's still going to get you know, 15 or so carries over the course of a game. So you're worried about touches for running backs. You're worried about targets for wide receivers. You know, a guy like, say, DeAndre Hopkins or even like Allen Robinson, those guys are going to get targeted a ton week to week. So that's sort of what you're looking at there. With quarterbacks, obviously, you want to you look at yards and touchdowns. That's why Patrick Mahomes is so valuable because you know he's going to throw a lot of touchdowns. But increasingly with quarterbacks, we're looking at their rushing numbers too. Because, you know, once upon a time, you could be kind of a statue in the pocket and just stand there and not run a whole lot and be successful if you threw the ball effectively. Now there's only really a handful of those guys that can survive and be productive. I mean, Tom Brady is kind of still in that number. Matt Ryan sort of falls into that category. But now when you're looking at fantasy quarterbacks, the guys that are really, really popular, Mahomes can run certainly well enough to be in there. Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, those are the guys that we're starting to really covet in fantasy because getting those extra hidden points on those rushing yards week to week ends up being kind of a big deal. Is there anything that you know that you look for or are keeping an eye on that maybe the average fantasy football player isn't that you would recommend they should do? I think right now, I think to keep an eye on is with running backs, we have become a lot more specialized in the league now. Like it, you know, once upon a time, like back when you and I started playing fantasy football way back in the mid nineties, right. it wasn't uncommon that a team would have a running back 
you had a workhorse running back and that guy would get 300 plus carries a year. And if you had a good season, you're talking about 1200 yards and there, and like the backup was the backup who only played maybe every once in a while when that guy needed to catch his breath or if a guy got hurt. Now we're at a point where teams regularly will have two and three running backs that they put in rotation with one another. And I think the knee jerk immediately is when you see that a team is going to go with a rotation, you start to kind of shake your head and get frustrated. But I think we've reached the point now where it is worth sort of looking at the nuances of that offense. And especially with the quarterback, how often does the quarterback throw the ball to a running back? How often do they, does a team run say on first down versus second down? You do kind of look at offensive lines, not that I'm an offensive line expert, but you can kind of start to pick out the ones that are good versus the ones that aren't. And that helps you sort of make your decision. So there are some kind of nuances. It's I think it's a little more difficult than just saying, well, crap, that guy's in a running back rotation. Maybe I stay away from him. I think if you sort of learn the ins and outs of how an offense works and what a guy's skill set is, I think you could sort of navigate those rotations and not not have it be such a headache. Now, obviously, you work for the NFL, you're on NFL Network, on NFL.com, so a lot of things obviously are probably geared toward the NFL fantasy product that they provide, but obviously, there are other websites that are big in fantasy sports, and those people are going to come to you on the network or on the website for information. How do you deal with trying to send out a message that might be different based on where you're playing the game? You know, I think we've learned sort of how to talk because there are so many different variations now of fantasy football. It used to just be your standard, you know, you have one quarterback and you have you know, two running backs, two wide receivers, whatever. Now you've got your regular standard redraft leagues that, you know, that's, that's kind of what most people play. But you've got keeper leagues, you've got dynasty leagues now, which are sort of like having your own team where you, you keep the same roster year after year. You just draft rookies. You have daily fantasy. And so you sort of have to learn, you know, which players are potentially good in which formats. And you have to sort of, you know, explain that to people. I think the other part for me that I I really have to be cognizant of is that because I work at the NFL, we get a wide range of skill levels when it comes to fantasy. I mean, we do get the diehards who are in super competitive leagues and they're pouring over advanced stats. But we also get a lot of people who are just casual. Maybe they're just starting to play fantasy football or they just play it because they want to be social. You know, they want to just be able to, to talk to people in their office or keep up with friends and family that way. And they do it. And so you sort of have to be able to speak to the diehards who know everything about everything and as well as speak to the casual people who you know, maybe aren't trying to dominate their league. They just don't want to look silly at the end of the season. They just want to be competitive. And I think that's something I've had to really, I've really kind of taken to heart over the 10 years I've been there is just trying to be able to kind of be that every person and talk to everybody on every level to take the big concepts and sort of simplify them so that everybody can understand. I think that has been one of the things I've tried the hardest to do in my career. But obviously, you can't please everybody all of the time. So how do you deal with it when the people come at you for something you've suggested on a show and it doesn't work out and they blame you for causing them to lose their fantasy matchup? You know what? I've learned for the most part to kind of ignore it. I'll say this. When I started, I used to really take that to heart for a couple of reasons. I mean, one human nature, you just want to be right. <laughs> you know, exactly, when you make a prediction, right, right. you just want to be right. That's just human nature. But also part of it was that like, you know, I did feel a responsibility to people, right? That people were taking my advice. And look, I mean, I know there are people that play in leagues for a lot of money. And 
they follow this advice, they take that advice. And when they lose, those folks get upset. And so early on, I used to feel really bad about that. And then at some point, I don't, I don't even remember when, when it was, but at some point you just start to realize predicting the future is hard. It's hard to do. <laughs> and more often than not, you're probably going to be wrong. You know what I think it was? I think it was, it was several years ago when Nick Foles was starting, I think in Philadelphia, this is before the Super Bowl championship, but he had a game where he threw seven touchdown passes. And the very next week, they were playing the Raiders. And I think I made the Raiders my sleeper defense of the week because my logic was, well, Nick Foles can't throw seven touchdown passes again. And by some miracle, he threw seven touchdown passes again that week against the Raiders. And so like, I felt like the biggest jackass after that. But it also just sort of was like, you know, at that point, you were like, okay, man, that was maybe as big a swing and a misses as you could possibly have. And you start to realize that like, you know what? you're going to be wrong. But every now and then people still kind of get upset. I will say that I feel like my Twitter mentions are probably a lot less angry than some other people's, but every now and then people will start to chirp. I try to ignore them for the most part, but you know, if you catch me on the wrong day and I'm upset about something else and you say the wrong thing, then I I may clap back. I have found that if you put one or two of the trolls on blast, the rest of them kind of quiet down for a while. So that's good. You know, and worst comes to worst, I can either mute or block people. And that makes me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) So what is your favorite part about covering fantasy football? I feel like it's one, I think the camaraderie of it, because as I said earlier, the industry itself has grown so much and just meeting so many people, obviously for the most part, meeting them virtually, right? Meeting them over social media, especially meeting with air quotes, but just kind of getting to know people and having those conversations you know, and just talking to other people who are really good at this and kind of getting smarter about my own analysis. I think that has something to do with it. I look at what we do is that kind of the Monday through Saturday of this is uh, even in the off season, especially we, we are coming up with theories, right? We're trying to figure out you know, which players fit well in certain spots, which players don't. We're trying to come up, you know, figure out which offensive philosophies are going to be more productive and trying to figure out, you know, new draft strategies and, and roster building and all that kind of stuff. And so this time of year is sort of like the theoretical work, right? It's like if, if this were the scientific method, this is the part where we're writing out our theories and we're, you know, we're doing the, the work on the big chalkboard and trying to figure out what works. And then the games kick off. And that's sort of the, the lab trials where we kind of put our theories into action and see how they turn out. You know, and you sort of adjust week to week and season by season. I think it's just kind of fun to kind of, you know, put our ideas out there on paper or on you know social media or what have you and see how they work. Sometimes they turn out great. Sometimes you sort of look like an idiot. But in the end, again, I think part of me like kind of letting go of the misses has allowed it to be more fun. I think when I was sort of hung up on being wrong, it does get a little bit tense. But now it's like you can go out and, and say something and if it blows up on you. You're like, hey, well, we tried it. Let's get better and and try it again next week. So that's been kind of fun. This is the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today, fantasy football analyst for the NFL Network and NFL.com and a longtime friend of mine dating back to our days at USC as students, Marcus Grant. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, Find it, subscribe, and rate it wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more, or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, you can catch me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Marcus, let the people know all the various ways they can catch up with you. 
Yeah, on Twitter at Marcus G M A R C A S G. Also at NFL.com, you can find my my writing and stuff there. Also, uh, our podcast, the NFL Fantasy Football Show. Anywhere you can download a podcast, it is probably there on YouTube as well. To uh, YouTube.com slash NFL Fantasy Football, and then if you just set your DVRs to NFL Fantasy Live on NFL Network, every once in a while we do some off-season stuff that appears too. So uh, you know, keep an eye out for that. This is Dane Blanton, head coach of the USC women's beach volleyball team and Olympic gold medalist. And you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. All right, Marcus. So we just had the NFL draft. You see a lot of new players entering the league. And obviously, like you said, you're more focused on the offensive players. But how does the NFL draft affect your player and team evaluations? I mean, obviously, the the biggest part is you've got new guys in new places. And especially with the rookies coming in, you get your highly touted rookies that come into a spot and they shake up the roster a little bit. You have veterans that might not get as much attention or get as much work or, or may not have as much fantasy value. Or in some cases, teams don't draft the way you expect them to draft. And, you know, that helps maybe a veteran who's on the roster. I mean, for as much as, you know, Aaron Rodgers might have been frustrated last season that the Packers didn't draft a wide receiver, that helped all of us who loved Devontae Adams because that just meant that Aaron Rodgers was going to throw to Devontae Adams over and over and over again. For instance, this year, James Robinson was kind of a fantasy star coming out of nowhere. He was He had been undrafted. The Jaguars needed him and in a pinch. He stepped up and played really, really well. Then all of a sudden, the Jaguars this year go and draft Travis Etienne out of Clemson in the first round. And so all of us who love James Robinson and might have tried to draft him, you know, in the early second round in our fantasy drafts, now we're sort of having to readjust and recalculate because maybe Etienne's not the starter. Maybe he's not the number one running back, but it's hard to believe they're going to spend a first round pick and not give him the ball regularly. So that impacts James Robinson. So we very much are about trying to slot guys in now, trying to figure out what depth charts are going to be and how that is going to impact all the guys around them. So this is kind of an interesting time, especially now, because it's all speculative until we get to training camp and whatever preseason we kind of have. We're sort of guessing based on you know ability, where guys are drafted, and sort of trying to read the tea leaves with what coaches say, although I, I will admit coaches lie a lot. Lies, so, all the time, so, lies. So, so that makes it a little more difficult. But we do. We do try to adjust. And then, like I said, once we get to training camp and you get those training camp reports and you see a little bit of preseason, that also sort of gives us a better idea maybe of how guys are going to get used. So how carefully are you keeping up with roster moves around the league? Oftentimes, it seems to be on the fringes and might not affect you know those who you would be taking in fantasy leagues. But are you keeping up with those moves throughout the year? Yeah, for the most part, you know, obviously free agency when that hits in March is always a big deal because that's when you get a lot of you know, veteran player movement, obviously. And so that certainly impacts rosters. And then the draft happens. I think, you know, I do pay attention to some of these smaller ones just because, again, for purposes of being able to talk to you know guys and girls who play in really deep fantasy leagues. Every once in a while, I'll get hit up by somebody who's like, hey, I'm in a 20-team fantasy league, which, by the way, sounds like madness. And I That's outrageous. It. That's outrageous. <laughs> it just sounds like madness. But, you know, they're like, they will come to me and they will hit me up about, hey, so I'm trying to, you know, trying to draft or add from waivers, you know, name somebody's, you know, fourth string running back that you may have never heard of that probably went to some, you know, FCS school or something like that. And so, like, 
you do have to keep up with some of those free agent signings or some of those guys who were, were cut or, or what have you, just because there's probably somebody out there that wants to draft them, wants to add them in waivers, or just has a question about how productive they potentially could be. I go back last year, for instance, Jermichael Hasty. I had several people like in my mentions asking me about Jermichael Hasty and what he could do. And I was kind of like, I don't know. There are several guys. I mean, they've got Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, and Tevin Coleman. There are several guys ahead of him on the depth chart. But I mean, as you know, watching the 49ers, there were so many injuries yep. that Jermichael Hasty ended up becoming a thing and had a couple of good games. So it is kind of important to at least, even if you're not fully in tune with it, to at least have a working knowledge of who is on every roster. Yeah, I mean, like you brought up the name James Robinson. At this time last year, could you or anyone else have predicted James Robinson would be a thing during fantasy football no, season? No, I mean, right? at this point, nobody really knew who James Robinson was. Right. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. <laughs> and so when do things really ramp up for you in terms of setting your player rankings? Probably July. I mean, I know there's, there are people who do them all year long, and God love them. I can't be one of them. But there are people who kind of like shift all year long. Uh, but really, it's when you get to like, the start of the July, mid-July, especially when training camps start to happen, that's when I think it really becomes serious. You start to kind of put together your rankings for real. I always say that that's sort of like right now is sort of the diehards and the, the degenerates, right? The people who do this for a living and just the really degenerates, like they can't get enough of it. They're the ones who are really paying attention. And people are, look, people are doing mock drafts. People are doing real drafts like right now. <laughs> you know, like they, they have these things called best ball leagues, which are sort of nice. Best ball leagues, you just draft, and every week the algorithm will put together the best possible lineup based on your scores. So, I mean, you know, it's sort of a little bit less maintenance. It's great, but people are drafting best ball leagues right now. But then what happens in July, which training camp hits, as I say, gin pop starts to catch up, like the rest of the people, the more casual folks who maybe haven't paid attention to football since the Super Bowl, they start to kind of log on and draft. And so that's when we really have to kind of get up and going. All right. So we're still a ways out, but. As of right now, as we record this show on May 7th, who are some players that you think could break out in the 2021 NFL season? Whether it's going from good to great or from out of nowhere to being a guy you got to put in the lineup, like what do you think are some breakout possibilities? I'm thinking about Philadelphia. I think Miles Sanders, I was a fan of Miles Sanders anyway, and I think he had kind of a down year. I think he bounces back in a really big way. I think Austin Eckler, who has already been pretty good, really is, I think, ready to make a really big leap in that Charger offense. I think a lot of us really believe that that Austin Eckler can be for fantasy this year. Sort of what Alvin Kamara has been for the last few years with Drew Brees, at quarterback down there in New Orleans. I really do think that's going to be a big, big thing. I do think there's going to be a couple of rookies that have really great seasons. Like I think Najee Harris got drafted by the Steelers. I think he's set up for a really good first year there because they don't they don't really have a running back they need somebody they can give the ball to consistently and I think he can potentially be that guy I think Kyle Pitts is a name that everybody loves people keep calling him a unicorn and I think he's going to be good this year I think he could have been better if he weren't in an offense like Atlanta's offense is just crowded they still have Calvin Ridley for the moment as we sit here and talk Julio Jones is still there although there are trade rumors swirling around him but I think Kyle Pitts is I think he is listed as a tight end, but when I watched him, Julio Jones was sort of the player that I thought of, and I think he has the potential to be really, really good. I just greedily for fantasy guy and wanted to see him somewhere where maybe he doesn't have to share targets with so many people. And he's going to get so overdrafted. You know that. Absolutely. No, he absolutely is. I, you know, it's funny because I did a mock draft uh, the other day on our podcast, and 
I sort of have him early pegged on as my maybe my seventh or eighth tight end that I would take off the board. But the mock draft we did, he was, I think, the fourth tight end. You have your big three, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Darren Waller, in whatever order you please. And then Kyle Pitts was the fourth tight end taken. And that felt a little bit too rich for me, but I also feel like that might be the going rate for him in a lot of fantasy drafts this year. Yeah, I think that's exactly where he's going to end up. I could see him going above Darren Waller in some people's picks. I think you got to go with Kelsey and Kittle one, two, but I could see him being the third tight end off the board. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the, the hype has been that loud for him, and I think it's only going to get louder. And look, as one of my friends says, it only takes one person, right? Because all it takes right. is one person looking at the hype, looking at the draft and feeling like, you know what? I really want Kyle Pitts. I got to make the move. I got to go get him now. And then there you have it. So I wouldn't be surprised if somebody kind of makes that leap and, and takes him a little bit earlier. I, as much as I love him, I couldn't be that person, but somebody will be. Yeah. I mean, if he's the fourth tight end off the board in like round seven or eight, sure. But right. there's no way he's lasting that long in a draft. No, I think part of it is tight end is easily the thinnest position in fantasy, right? I mean, you, you have those big three that you can kind of count on every week. Then sort of your next tier, you've got your TJ Hawkinson's, your Mark Andrews, maybe Mike Gesicki, Hunter, well, Hunter Henry. I'm not sure how he's going to work out in New England because they added a couple of tight ends. Yeah, John Smith, right. John Smith is there now too, right? So I, I'm not sure how that works. But I think those guys are sort of that next tier of tight ends where, you know, for the most part, they'll be fine, but you're not going to be confident every single week with them. I think for this year, Pitts sort of slots at the back end of that second tier of guys, but like I said, I mean, he's been getting hyped since the Super Bowl, right? Since draft season started, he's been getting this hype. And I just think that that's going to push his draft value up quite a bit. But the biggest question, and I teased it early, where is Aaron Rodgers going to be playing in September? Is it in Green Bay? <laughs> if he is playing football, it's probably going to be in Green Bay. Otherwise, he will be at Sony Studios in Culver City hosting Jeopardy. I think those are the only two options. <laughs> you know, and I know people think it's weird. I feel like football people struggle with the idea of a football player not wanting to play football. But I go back and I look at, you know, in recent years, we've seen a lot of players sort of retire what we consider to be early. But, but you've got guys who, like a guy like Aaron Rodgers, right? He's made a ton of money. I know he probably could have won more Super Bowls, but he's got one. He's won just about everything you can think of. I don't know that that pressure is so great for him to come back, especially, look, coasting Jeopardy, that means you don't have to evade a Khalil Mack blindside blitz all the time, right? Like, you know, Alex Trebek, the show was Jeopardy, but he was never actually in Jeopardy at any point. So I don't think it's crazy to think that he could just walk away and go do something else at this point. Yeah, I mean, he obviously would be in a competition to get the Jeopardy host job with a bunch of other people who have a lot more broadcasting and hosting experience. So I think it's funny that the kind of narrative that's out there is that, oh, yeah, he can just quit and go to Jeopardy. like. Are we so sure that Jeopardy is going to hire him if he decides that he wants to give up on football? I mean, I watched the two weeks that he was on Jeopardy, and he was all right, but he was all right for a football player. Like, I don't know that he was <laughs> all right in terms of being the greatest host of all time, that some of these reports out there make it seem like he was. I mean, he was all right for a football player, you know? That's kind of how I felt, too. I'm like, you know, I feel like Aaron Rodgers has a good sense of humor, but he's also kind of deadpan. Very deadpan. I don't know that that works as, as a game show host. Like, I think you need to have a little more energy. I kind of felt the way you did. Like, I thought he was fine, 
but you know, I, I guess maybe because you know I follow sports and and I talk to a lot of people, and so like there was that excitement because like, hey, there's a football player hosting Jeopardy. But I'm sort of with you. I thought he was good. I didn't think he was necessarily like great, great. Right. And so that's why I think it's funny that that's out there as like, a, oh, you can just leave and get that. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of back and forth between both sides and the leaks from the team and his camp. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And I think obviously nothing's going to happen until June 1st when they can do something with his contract that doesn't kill their cap situation. Talk about Green Bay, that is. So we'll see what happens there. And it will be interesting, but that will obviously affect the draft rankings for fantasy football based on where he ends up going to, if he ends up going anywhere, that is. So again, you are listening to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Nara Wang. My guest today is Marcus Grant, fantasy football analyst for the NFL Network and NFL.com. And if you want to catch the show, you can subscribe and rate it. Wherever you get your favorite podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more, or go directly to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, I'm on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Marcus, where can everyone find you? On Twitter, at Marcus G, M-A-R-C-A-S-G, uh, also at NFL.com, on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, all those places with the NFL Fantasy Football Show podcast, and then NFL Network, NFL Fantasy Live. Oh, did I say YouTube? Also, YouTube.com slash NFL Fantasy Football, all those places. Hey, Trojan fans, this is Brian Jones, college football analyst for CBS Sports, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with my good friend, Nar Wang, on the Believe Podcast Network. Okay, Marcus, I can't let you go without talking about our beloved Trojans a little bit. So first of all, what did you think about USC men's basketball reaching the Elite Eight for the first time since 2001? I mean, it was awesome, right? I mean, you know, we, we were definitely not, uh, I mean, I was joking that we're a basketball school, but obviously that's the joke is that traditionally we have not been the basketball school in Los Angeles. So it was nice to see them have some success and be very productive. And look, it was frustrating to see it end exactly as it did to see them sort of get blown out by Gonzaga. But at that point, I also felt like they were sort of playing with house money. So hopefully, though, this isn't just a one-off, that this really is Andy Enfield kind of building something that, that is sustainable. And maybe it's not an elite eight every year, but it is something where, you know, this is a team that is regularly in the mix for Pac-12 championships and is getting to the tournament and is you know, capable of making that run every so often. I think obviously a national championship would be amazing, would be wonderful. But I think more than anything, we just want to see the program be regularly competitive. And it's been a long time since we've had that. Right. I think most USC fans are thrilled just to be in the NCAA tournament every year. And obviously at some point you're going to want more than that, but I think that's just a good goal is that, Hey, let's make the tournament every year at least. And honestly, I didn't think we would beat Gonzaga. I didn't necessarily think we'd get destroyed the way we did, but I (laughs) felt that Gonzaga was a really good team and we would have issues with them. What made it worse is to see how our crosstown rivals played them so well and took them to the brink nearly of taking them out of the tournament. And that's kind of what made it be like, ah, why didn't we play better against them, you know, (laughs) if those guys did? But like you said, is this sustainable? We have been getting good recruits in, but obviously Evan Mobley doing his one and done, moving on to the NBA, and he is 
the best recruit that Andy Enfield has gotten, despite there being other good ones. And next year's recruiting class is not obviously as highly rated. So there is the question of, can they keep it up without Evan Mobley? And what do you think? I mean, I think there's at least a good enough foundation. And with the fact that the super seniors like Isaiah White and Chavez Goodwin are able to take advantage of that extra year and come back is going to help us. I think so. And, you know, the thing that this team actually was an okay shooting team. I mean, they had, they had their times when they went cold, obviously, and that tends to happen. But I felt like this is a program that really has never had a lot of consistent shooters. I mean, I, as I say this, I flash back to our days with the likes of Adam Spanich, you know, like way back when. We would have like one. One, like one shooter. This, this team has a lot more shooters. Uh, it would certainly help you put them around a guy like Mobley. And that certainly made this offense a little bit more complete. But I think as long as they have that, I think that will keep you in a lot of ballgame. And we've seen it in the NBA, just three-point shooting being such a game changer there. And I think if you can recruit and have consistent shooters, that will help this program be competitive for a while. We are getting in Boogie Ellis, the transfer from Memphis. So that should help out with Taj Edie also moving on to the next level. And now let's go, of course, to the sport that everyone cares about with USC, football. They had just completed their spring practice this year after having only one spring practice last year before the pandemic shut everything down. And obviously, there's still the hemming and hawing, if you will, from the USC fan base about head coach Clay Helton, but he is back, and you're going to have a lot of guys returning for the 2021 season. Is this the year that USC football finally gets back to college football's elite level? I want to say yes, but I'm not sold yet. Look, Clay Helton, I'm going to say the thing that, uh, about Clay Helton that everybody says about Clay Helton. He's a really nice man, and he seems to have been sort of good for a program that was in turmoil. But I, I think we have seen what he is as a coach, you know? And I, I think we sort of hit that ceiling for what he can be as a coach. I mean, obviously, we as a program, are competitive, certainly within the Southern Division of the Pac-12. And I, I think you know, we are good enough to make a Pac-12 championship game and, and maybe every once in a while win it. But I don't think this program is anywhere near being what it was you know, under Pete Carroll. We're, we're certainly not among the elites. I mean, I look at us and if that's the comparison, right? If we are measuring ourselves against the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, we are not anywhere near any of those. And so, again, I think this is a year where we're talking about SC probably winning the Southern Division. We're probably playing for a Pac-12 championship. And then I think at that point, it's sort of all bets are off. I would be very, very surprised if this team is anywhere near the conversation of being in the, the college football playoff. Yeah, and then we have to hope that there's a resurgence in the Pac-12 as well, as the conference being down has definitely hurt everyone involved. And a lot of people attribute that to USC being down because we are the flag bearer, the standard in football for the conference. So. It will be interesting to see based on the assumption that we're going back to a full non-COVID conference and non-conference schedule, a full season of football, how that will play out for USC. But because we are still in this pandemic, hopefully getting out of it fairly quickly now, but all of these sports got to play, but they all got moved out of the fall, the minor Olympic sports that is and all crammed into the winter and spring season. So what did you think about having all of these sports in college crammed into such a short amount of time and everyone competing basically with each other for eyeballs, I guess? You know, it's funny because I, I had sort of forgotten about that at some point. And so then, you know, just following the USC Athletics account on Twitter or what have you and just seeing like 
results from some sports. I'm like, wait, why is, I, I would have to check the date. <laughs> like, wait, why is, why is this sport playing in you know, March, April? Like, what's going on here? I mean, I guess I, I sort of resigned to it, at least for this year, right? I think if we learned nothing else this year, it is that you know, college athletics is, we always sort of knew it was a money grab, but I think this year it was just made plain how much of a money grab it was. And so that's why you have everything crammed into one season, essentially. So on the one hand, it was great that those athletes, you know, kind of got to play and got to experience their season. On the other, just like I said, it just sort of reminded me that the NC2A and a lot of the universities, including our own alma mater, really are doing this for revenue purposes and that, you know, the well-being or the health and safety necessarily of the athletes doesn't always come first. Yeah, it was just funny to see, too, like in certain sports, you had to wear masks and in certain sports, you didn't have to wear masks. And what really is the difference if they're all indoors and they're all in close contact? But it's just funny how based on revenue, certain sports got to do more and got to do things that maybe other sports couldn't do. And I think you saw it maybe a little bit more because they were all playing at the same time. But we'll see. Obviously, I think it's great that these students got a chance to play instead of just sitting around and not being able to go into in-person classes, doing everything virtually. That's got to be tough on them. So at least having the outlet of competing in sports had to be a release, if nothing else. And as usual, USC has done pretty well in a lot of these sports, came close to winning a men's water polo title. The women's team ranked number one, trying to go for a title there. You've got women's beach volleyball at the NCAA Championships in Gulf Shores, Alabama, hopefully trying to get back to the top there after that team crossed town has won the last two NCAA Championships after USC won the first two. So we'll see what happens with that. And obviously, you know, golf, tennis, all those other sports, USC traditionally has been pretty good at, except for, of course, during our time when we were there, the worst (laughs) four years of USC athletics in history, quantifiable, not a hyperbolic statement on my part. I've gone over it before on the show. We were there for the worst four years of USC athletics. Yeah. Yeah. At least we got the one championship. We got the baseball one. That was it. Otherwise we we would have been shut out. We got two. Did we get a second? Women's swimming and diving. Oh, that's right. That's they right. were the first one. one, and then we got baseball. And baseball, the end, seniors, yeah. yeah. But only yeah. two, the fewest <laughs> national titles in a four-year span in USC athletics history. And, of course, wasn't the worst four years of football because we did snap the winless streak against Notre Dame during our time and had a winning record against Notre Dame. But we are also the only four-year class to go 0-4 uh. football and men's basketball against the Crosstown Bruins. Uh, so. Quantifiably, the worst four years of USC athletics. That was us. That was our class, yeah, Marcus. Man. I mean, it's funny because, you know, Petros Papadakis has become a media star and, and he likes to say that he was the captain of the worst USC football team in history. And he might not be wrong. And of course, that was after we graduated, luckily. The football team did <laughs> at least not completely hit bottom while we were there. It happened oh. afterwards with the Paul Hackett era. So oh, man. at least we avoided that. But let's end this on a positive note here, Marcus Grant. Give me two things. Who is going to be the best fantasy football player in 2021? And who is the surprise player that you're picking that's going to shock everybody? And you're saying, hey, that's my guy that's going to blow everyone out of the water in terms of unexpected contributions. Okay, so I'm going to say that the top scoring fantasy football player this year 
I'm going to say it's the guy who's kind of done it a couple of times. I'm going to go back with Christian McCaffrey. Again, just opportunity being what it is and a guy who's incredibly talented and the fact that he's kind of the centerpiece of the Carolina Panthers offense. So I'm going to say he's going to be the top scorer. But I guess my surprise guy in that vein is the guy that could possibly overtake him. And it's a guy I mentioned earlier. It's Austin Eckler, who we were, we were sort of excited for it to happen last year. And then he got hurt and missed a, a bunch of times. So that sort of derailed it. But now that we've seen how good Justin Herbert can be, and knowing how much the Chargers might lean on Austin Eckler, don't be surprised if maybe we're talking about him as the highest scoring player in fantasy football this year. That is a bold pick. I like it. Austin Eckler, <laughs> keep an eye out for him. And let's hope our guy Sam Darnold can thrive now that he has Christian McCaffrey and some good receivers. I'm excited. I believe. I still believe in Sam Darnold. I'm not sure if I do, but I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm really hoping that he turns his career around in Carolina. <laughs> Well, Marcus, it's a pleasure, as always, to have you on the show. Appreciate the invitation, man. Always glad to come back. For my guest, Marcus Grant, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 28 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in L.A. and so much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe and as I end every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.